Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Well, we're in Romans 1.18, and um, I was talking to somebody this week, and I asked how long it was going to take to get through Romans. I said they got a pool going in the class. A pool. But I think it's somewhere in the two to three year range, I guess, is where the, where the odds are right now at Vegas. Um, don't know how long it's going to take us to get through it, but... Uh, That's the first chapter, right? Yeah. We're called, <laughs> this is called verse by verse, as Bart Mercurio said, word by word. Um, we take our time and we just discuss things. And, you know, we, however long it takes to get through a book, it takes to get through a book, you know. But we're in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 today. And uh, Romans 1.18 begins a section that goes to 3.20, in which Paul basically outlines an indictment against humanity. Um, if you want to think about it, he's sort of the prosecuting attorney. And he's going to show that all of humanity is guilty before God. In fact, the end of his argument before he basically ends his indictment is that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. We're guilty. All of us are. Um, we're all guilty to a different degree, but we're all guilty. All right? And he begins by looking at basically three groups of people. He first of all talks about the group that just are irreligious to think of. We call them the heathen, maybe. Basically, this is a group of people that do not have Christianity. They don't have exposure to the Word of God. And he talks about them. And then he goes to the Jew, and he, to the right to the, what do you want to call it, the moral person who has morals, who's sophisticated. And he says, don't think that you're going to get away with this, because even though you don't do the things the heathen do, yet you have the law of God written on your heart. You know better. And then he's going to turn to the Jew, because the Jews are going to say, hit him again, Paul, hit him again. Yes, hit him again. Yep, amen, hit him again, bro. And then he turns to the Jew and says, by the way, you're worse than the rest of them because you know what you're supposed to do. You've got God's revelation. You're not like some that don't have it. You've got it. So it's even worse for you because you know what God wants. All right? And um, by the way, that's one of the principles that we're going to see work its way out in Romans. The more light you have, the more responsible you are. All right? You're better off to be ignorant than to know God's word and not do it. You're better off being ignorant. It's not good for you being ignorant, but you're better off in the long run. And Paul's going to talk about that. And what, he's, what he basically does is he begins talking about here in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. God's wrath. Now, when you think of God's wrath, what do you think of? Punishment. Anger. Yeah. Um, if you had to categorize wrath, what would you categorize it as? An emotion, an attribute, a feeling? We would categorize emotion, right? Because you get somebody mad, angry. They... And it is. There's an emotional component to it. It's God's actions, and really, if you th theologically, and this is where we, you know, we talk about how Romans is a 
primer on theology. If you get through Romans, you got all the basic Bible doctrines covered. This is talking about, this is in an in a anthropological and also a theological sense. Wrath is an attribute of God. It's one of his essential attributes. All right? When you think of God, what attribute pops into your brain most of the time? Love. Everybody, God is love, you know. John said God is love, but God is also God is just, right? Mm -hmm. I said that's what's preached the most today. That's what's preached the most. You know, we like the love component. But there's another component of God's nature called wrath. And what is God's wrath? God's wrath is his automatic re revulsion against sin. God doesn't have to gin up his anger on this thing. If anything, God's got to hold himself back. He is. In fact, we're going to be reading that in Romans 2 here where it says God holds back his wrath. Someday it ain't going to be held back, but right now God is holding back his wrath. But the thing to understand is God's wrath is not an emotion that he, he has to work up. It's an, innate, it's an innate attribute of his being, of what he is. God is repulsed by sin. It's a repulsive thing to him. So much so that he sacrificed his son. Yeah, to fix it. And we're going to talk about the substitutionary atonement, which, by the way, is critical. And by the way, and also, if you look at, if you listen to anything out there in the current the, uh, Christian airwaves and some of the bizarreness, there are those that say that the death of Christ on the cross was just a. Uh, he was not a substitute. God would never do that. Let me tell you something about that. If Christ did not pay for my sins, I'm in deep trouble. Okay, he took my place. He didn't just be a good um, example for me. He took my place. He took the punishment due me. And we also, we talk about God's wrath. We've got to understand something. This is a concept I've not really thought about lately. And you really got to wrap your heads around this, so go home and think about it. But I talked a little bit about the simplicity of God. And what we mean by the simplicity of God is God is not the sum of components. All right? God is not the sum of wrath, anger, love, justice, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, grace, wrath. You can't, you can't split God apart like that and, and say, well, God's wrath nature is in opposition to his love nature. All right? Rather, God is all wrath, all love, all mercy, all kindness, all grace. That's hard for us to figure out. But you've got to go with this because that's God, right? God is not... So, so, so the idea that God has an attribute that is in opposition to another attribute, you can't think that way. That's, that's not the way it works with God. And your brain's going to stop after a while and you're just going to say, oh, I'll just go with that. That's called the simplicity of God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. God is yeah. God is love, but God is wrath. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is kind. God is wise. God is all powerful. All of these are God is all of all of this. All right. And the, His nature is not compartmentalized into competing attributes. 
So when it says the wrath of God is revealed, all it's saying is God's innate attribute of wrath is being revealed, all right, from heaven. Now, let's do a little bit of a, anybody here um, grammarians? I hated grammar. I despised it. I hated English. In fact, I refused to take English 4 in high school. I hated it. And then I took Greek and I had to learn English. All right? And, I, and then it's like, well, I wish I would have listened more when I was back in 7th grade and 8th grade, you know. But the, in Greek, you have verb tenses. The verb tense here is in what's called the present tense. All right? Anybody know what the present tense is? It's happening right now. Currently, right now, it's happening. So what Paul is saying is God's wrath, currently, right now, even as I speak and write this down, his wrath is being right now revealed. Okay? It's not that it's going to be revealed. There, there's a component of that. But right now, even as I speak, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. Right now. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The word suppress there is interesting. It means to hold back, to hold down, to press down. So what Paul is saying is God's wrath right now is being revealed against God, ungodliness and unrighteous men who in their unrighteousness right now, even as we speak, are suppressing, holding back, pushing down the truth. All right? Whatever God has said. What he has said. What God has revealed. Okay? And we're going to see that. As it, he's going to explain that a little bit here in a minute. Now, when you look at God's wrath being revealed, how is God's wrath being revealed? Usually when we think of God's wrath being revealed, what do we think of? A flood. Or, you know, some cataclysmic event, all right? And although those are God's wrath, right? We, we, we don't want to say there isn't. That is a component. God's wrath right now, even now, even as we speak right now, is being revealed against ungodliness of men in our world today. How do you think God's wrath is being revealed? What are some ways that God's wrath is being worked out even now? Yes. War. War. Famine. Famine. Disease. Disease. That's a big one, right? COVID. COVID's part of God's wrath. AIDS is part of God's wrath. Cancer is part of God's wrath. The hatred of men towards other men are part of God's wrath. Natural disasters are part of God's wrath. Bad weather is part of God's wrath. All of this, this is part of God's wrath being revealed. It's not like God, every, now can God every once in a while just say smite? Can he hit the smite button sometimes? Yeah, he can. But you've got to understand that God's wrath is constantly being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We see that in our world today. Look at our, look at our, look at our nation, look at our world. We are being run by people that deny God. In fact, they're in opposition to God. They hate God. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but 
we suppress the truth. The idea there, what Paul's saying is men know the truth, and what do they do with it? Press it down. They don't want to hear it. You look at this whole evolutionary creationism debate. Anybody with two functioning brain cells that can think has to realize there's a, there's a design and order to this deal. Yep. It takes more, quote, faith, unquote, to believe. Right. But, but here's the problem. If I believe that, then I, as a creator, I don't want that, so i got to hold that truth down. Why, why, why is it that we got legal battles trying to get rid of creationism in schools? I thought you were open-minded. I thought people were, I thought this is a public debate. Couldn't we have both sides? No, we only want one side. That is the way it's going. Paul's talking here about something that I call moral entropy. You know what entropy is, right? Disorder. Disorder. So entropy basically says the universe is winding down. The amount of usable energy is decreasing. All right? So, and, and the way this works is, pretend you, I, got, I got in this room, I got all the parts to build a car. In order to build a car, what do I need to do? I need to input what? I got to put energy into the system, either me doing it or whatever. I got to put energy into the system. Now, if I just had the iron ore and the titanium ore and all that, I have to put even more energy in because I got to get the metals to do it. But I got to put energy into the system to produce the car. And I have a bright, shiny, brand new car. I put it in my driveway and I leave it there for 50 years. What happens? You come back and there's a pile of rust on it, on the ground. Right. The point is, unless you keep putting energy into the system, what happens? Entropy takes over. I had to put some energy into my car this week for a new bearing in the front because entropy got rid of one of my wheel bearings. So I need to add some energy in to get my wheel bearing, get a new wheel bearing put in, see? It takes energy to make it run. Right. So, so the point is, unless you're constantly putting energy into the system, entropy says it's going to tend towards... Disorder. You, if you stop eating right now, you're going to tend towards disorder before long. Yes. I've asked professors about that, and um, basically the answer I always got was, well, there's, you know, energy always coming from the sun in our solar system. Now I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just saying that's a typical answer. Well, in college, I took a class called Statistical Mechanics and Thermodynamics, one of those highbrow courses. Yeah. The problem is I understood the physics. I didn't understand the math. All right, so I, the reason I'm not a physicist today, I'd blow myself up because I wouldn't carry the one, all right, or something like that, all right? So I understood the physics, and I asked my college professor, I said, you're, you're sitting there telling me that the, that the probability towards this order is so monumentally astronomical as to virtually make anything other than disorder impossible. Th theoretically, entropy says there is a probability, small but finite, probability that every air molecule in this room will go into that corner and will all suffocate. Hmm. Probability, it could happen. Yeah. All right? It doesn't, but it could happen. All right? And I asked him, I said, so, so you're, you're giving me all these probabilities. So explain to me how evolution 
works. What about God? And I will, I will illustrate his response. Oh my gosh, don't bring God up. <laughs> Mr. Snyder, yeah. don't bring God up. Yeah. Did you speak to me afterwards for the rest of the semester? And if our paths crossed, he would purposely look the other way. Yeah. Don't bring God up yeah. because you can have small areas where energy goes in, which like from the sun, that will produce a reversal of the entropy because you got energy coming in. Look, folks, entropy says you're all going to decay to nothing. Unless God puts energy into the system. Yeah. I had an interesting experience. Uh, first going to college, of course, when I was an evolutionary atheist, and then going back to college after I had become a Christian. And I was taking an invertebrate paleontology course. And um, I asked the professor, you know, outside politely, yeah. not during class or anything. Um, <clears throat> If the only way evolution works is by mutation. And if you calculate the number of mutation, um, helpful mutations, yeah. you're like 99.9999, you know, yeah. unhelpful. So if only helpful mutations, you know, uh, come about, uh, doesn't this world have to be? a lot longer than scientists are saying it is. And he said, yeah, that's why we have to keep making it longer. Yeah. Well, I, were, I was told, I was told how could it happen, and the response was, well, we're here, aren't we? We're here, aren't we? It must have happened this way because we're here, aren't we? The point is people suppress the truth. They hold it down. They, they press it down. All right? And... It, I'll give you another good, here's another good illustration. Pull on somebody say, let me have your computer. I'm going to change three or four bits in the operating system. Let's see if it grows a new program. You get the blue screen of death is what you're going to get. You're not going to get a new program. You're not going to all of a sudden have your computer be able to talk to you because you flipped a few bits. It's all detrimental. It's all detrimental. Yeah, here's the point. Men suppress the truth. They hold it down. So here's the thing. If you don't have energy going into a moral system, what's going to happen to that moral system? What are you looking at? What are you seeing now? We're seeing decay right now. We're seeing our, our system decay. It's moral decay because there's no energy being put into the system. There's no... And where does that energy come from? Morally. Word of God. Scripture. The Bible. We're being, and what you see here, just as an overview, you see three God gave them overs. God gave them over to passions. God gave them over to evil desires. God gave them over to a mind that's no mind at all. Now, if you want to find out what the mind that no mind at all is, go home and watch The View this week. <laughs> You'll figure out what, my, what no minds are, okay? That, that's where you go on that one, see? Yeah, God gives you over to this, okay? And what he's saying here is that men are, even as we speak, suppressing, holding down the truth. Look at the Pharisees. 
Christ comes along, he heals people, raises the dead, miracle, miracle, sign, miracle, sign, but they refused to believe what they saw. And instead of acknowledging the truth like Nicodemus did, most of them said, we got to kill this guy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and their conclusion was, we got to kill him. What? What? Yes. What? It keeps their position. But here's the thing. People suppress the truth. What is happening in our media today? Yes. You know, I got to go listen to Molly Hemingway down. A friend of mine had tickets. And he, I got a good lunch out of the deal, but I got to listen to Molly Hemingway. Um, and it's interesting because she said, one thing she said that was sort of interesting, she said, we don't have news anymore. We have propaganda. Yes. You're not seeing news anymore. No. There's no news any of these news channels on cable, they're not news anymore. They're propaganda. They're spin. You can listen to anyone you want that makes you feel good. Any of them. It's spin. It's propaganda. Gone is Chet Brink, you know, Chet Hunt, uh, Huntley Brinkley report. Gone is, gone is that. I remember back when I was little, Chet Huntley, Huntley and David Brinkley. Yes. On what is it, CBS or I think it was CBS or one of those. Um, the Huntley Brinkley report. I remember that. And... Um, that's gone. We don't have that. We have propaganda. Why? Because men suppress the truth. They don't want to believe the truth. So they suppress it. They hold it down. Now, I'll give you a primary example of this in the Bible. This is why this is called word by word, our class, instead of verse by verse. And I got a buzz buzzing around me right in front of my eyeballs. I'm drawing flies or something. One of those little bugs buzzing around. The flood happened about what year? Anybody want to take a guess at that, stab at that? About what year? The flood. Well, if you do the chronology in the Bible, it's somewhere in the 2500 B.C. time frame-ish. All right? And you can, follow, you can pretty much follow the chronology back. It's about 2500 or so B.C. All right? So after the flood, how many people did you have on the earth? Eight. All right? And then three generations later, what are they building? Tower. Tower of Babel. Now, why are they building the Tower of Babel? All right. Where do they start building it? In a plane. Now, if they were trying to height-wise reach God, where do you start building a you start on top of a mountain. I mean, at least give me, you know, give me a head start here. And I can start in the middle of the plain, a Shinar. This was not a temple to reach to heaven. It was a temple to the heavens. It was a ziggurat. It was a pagan temple. Yes. All right? And the top, if you go to these old ziggurats, in the top of it, on the top thing, they had the zodiac, and they did their worship stuff and all of that there. But now, let's, here's the thing. I want you to think about this. This is... Three generations after the flood. How long did Shem live? A long time. In fact, Shem and Abraham were contemporaries. Abraham could have went and had a discussion with Shem. All right? A long time. Okay? I forget the exact number of years. It was several hundred years after the flood that Shem died. Here's the point. When they were building the Tower of Babel, Shem... Ham, Japheth, Noah, their sons were all alive. 
They knew what God had done. They knew that God had destroyed the earth in a flood because of wickedness. And what are their great-grandkids doing? You talk about rejection of the truth. They knew what God did. In fact, they could have gone and interviewed Noah. What was it like before the flood? And what are they doing? They're building a tower to worship a God that's not the God that just wiped out the world. And you could go talk to great-grandpa Moses or great-grandpa Noah and he could tell you all about it. This is called truth suppression. You got to understand, the human, humans want to suppress the truth. They don't like it. It's not just that they reject it. They want to suppress it. They want to hold it down. They want to get rid of it. What do you see happening on college campuses today? What do you see happening in the news media? We got to shut people up. We got to we don't want contrarian viewpoints. Censorship. We don't want even the debate anymore. You get, you get uh, canceled. Men suppress the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They suppress it. It happened in Christ's day. It happened in Noah's day. It happened after the Exodus. What happens at the Exodus? Moses brings them out. They see the Red Sea. They see God providing for them for 40 years. They see miracle, 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 miracle. And what are the grandkids doing? They're, they're no different than the Canaanites anymore. Go to the end of the book of Judges and you'll find the whole Benjamite issue where they rape the concubine. And, almost, and this is, during, this is, the, grandson, this is the great grandson of Moses here. That's the time. It doesn't take long for this entropy to, bring, to work out, folks. Men are suppressing the truth. All of that is correct. Like you said, all you need is a couple brain cells. However, I'm finding that there is more openness than we realize. Satan the deceiver is deceiving us believers into thinking that Every effort, any effort of giving the truth out will be suppressed. I'm finding experientially, personally, me, that that's not really 100% true. Um, people are receiving the, the teaching where I get, where I or depending on the concept I'm teaching, I can bring in uh, godly truth and without using scripture. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah. I stay in the lane I'm supposed to be in as a professor, but the point is they are, I see nodding heads, I see yeah. smiles, I see openness. Uh, people are far more accepting of my book than because at first I was scared to death that they would find problems with it. Nobody has told me anyway that they find problem with it. So there is an opportunity bigger than we realize that's awaiting us out there, but we have to do it in a way that isn't, you know, yeah. we have to be winsome about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point there that Paul is talking here about the general sure. world. Generally in the world, exactly. people suppress the truth. Generally, exactly. they don't want to hear it. Generally, there is a rejection of it. But that doesn't, but you don't want to go to the other place. Well, fool you on this world then. You know, we'll go build a monastery and get in our walls and 
you know, hang the thing. You know, no, you don't want to do that because God wants us to be salt and light. You can't be salt and light if you're not around the dark and around what needs to be salted, right? So you gotta, you gotta do that. So you don't want to go the other way and just throw your hands up and say it's a lost cause, all right? But we need to understand the nature of mankind and the nature of our society and the world in general is to suppress the truth. They don't want to hear it. Because if we can suppress it, we can get rid of it, we can cancel this stuff. They don't want to hear it. And, and you see that happening. And, and you see this happening in an increasing way in the moral realm because moral entropy is starting to take over now. It's interesting, and I don't know if it's true or not. I, I'm friends with somebody on Facebook and uh, she got a job at a Nord Center or whatever. And it was really interesting. I've got to ask her about this, if it's true or not. But on her name tag, it had her name. Then it had her, hers, she. She, her, hers. Or she, her, hers or something like that. And I think... That's how she wants to be known as her personal pronoun. So she could put a he, him, on there as well. And this is this is crazy stuff we're getting at now. It's nuts. It's crazy. All right. But we but that's that's the world. That's where we're headed. Okay, here. All right. Paul is saying men actively suppress the truth, and if they keep suppressing the truth, and, and here's how they suppress it. Here's what he's saying. This is the way in which they do it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain. This is called, we call this theologically general revelation. What's general revelation? Everybody can see it. Special revelation is God's word. All right? But general revelation is you can look out on a starry night and say, wow. You can look at the order in nature and, and see it. Someone had suggested that if Charles Darwin had any inkling of genetics, he would have never come up with evolution. Because it's just mind-bogglingly complex. I, I got a DVD. In fact, I, I'll loan it to anybody who wants to read it. It's called the evisceration of, something like evascularization of a white blood cell. How does a white blood cell get out of your blood vessel and into the cell to kill the virus? It's fascinating. It is freakingly fascinating. And the complex chemical reactions that happen and how these, they've got little engine molecules that take this thing and they walk them up this little path to, it's bizarre, it's, it's, you look at that and you say, what idiot in their right mind can look at that and say, isn't it wonderful how evolution came up with that? It's crazy, but it's, it's the eyeball, it's irreducibly complex. You take one of these components out, you're blind, you know? And, and, and that's simple compared to some of the systems of our body. The point is, what can be, it's plain to them. Anybody can look at this and say, wow, there's a creator, there's a designer, there's something behind this. God's shown, listen, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. These are God's invisible attributes. I don't see those, but what do I see? I don't see the, I don't see the, wind blowing, but what do I do see? I see the way, the, the trees and the wind. He's saying you can look out and yeah, okay, I, I don't see God's divine power in nature, but I can see the effect of it in what I am looking at. Which tells me what? It's there. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, dunamis is the word here. That's his power, his strength. I mean, 
Stop and think about it. God stepped out on the edge of nothing, said, let there be light, and boom, there's light. And I jokingly tell some people, I can stand out on a dark night and say, let there be light, and nothing happens till the sun comes up. <laughs> All right? I'm not God. I can't make this stuff happen. God is the creator. He said he made it. And his divine nature, this is the word here, is his, his power, his, his omniscience, his wisdom, his... There are some things we can know about God by just looking around us. Is God a moral being? Yeah, because we have a morality, isn't there? Is God a God of order? I like taking hikes to keep my figure up. And um, as I was walking in nature this week, I was just thinking about, you know, God, how wonderful is it that you let us see colors? God could have created you with a black and white eyeball, couldn't he? Why did he create color? I took a walk at Columbia Reservation, which is sort of a cool little place over here on 82. And just the colors of the trees. And, uh, and I'm just thinking beauty and wonder. And why is it that we appreciate beauty? Yeah. You see any orangutans decorating their tree houses and putting up pictures? And No, they don't do that. Why? What do we do? We, we have an appreciation for beauty, for order, for... These are, this is part of God's stamp, divine stamp on the human soul. Yeah, that's a really good point, too, because, you know, you look at, I've seen it so many times, a, a chart of the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah. yeah. You know, is like this, and the visible part that we actually see with our eye, it's, like it's just this line. tiny, it's a thin line. Bar, little area. What would, what, what would happen if you could see x-rays and yeah. ultraviolet and... Radio waves and everything else, you know. And that's light. God, When God said created light, he created radiant energy in the universe. He, and how did he do that? He just said, let there be. And there was. Think about how confusing it would be if you really could. I don't want x-ray vision. I'd probably freak looking at some of you. Both. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, but the whole point there is that we... God is a God of creating, God of beauty, of wonder. And Paul is saying, you can look out... And there's a lot of things you can know about God by just using your head and thinking a little bit. But we don't want that. What do we want to do nowadays? We go to colleges and we suppress that down. And now we're just an accident of evolution. We're here, aren't we? It must have worked out this way. You mentioned the EM spectrum. Uh, how It's considering how order and simplicity is within that also, mm -hmm. because the only difference between all of them is the frequency, the frequency. and the wavelength of the vibration. Yeah, and how that, how that interacts with matter mm -hmm. and gives you the ability to see. By the way, um, I, I had a little bit of the physicist come into me, and Brenda, you're going to like this. Um, and I was thinking, you know, you watch on National Geographic. I'm sorry we're taking so long to get through this stuff, but just go with it. Um, I was watching National Geographic, and of course you got these egghead PhD stuff with letters after their name come out and talk about, well, you know, the sun was uh, produced by the condensation of gas. You know, that's, what, that's the big deal. You, know, you have all this gas condensed down to, the, to make the sun. So, okay, let me do some mathematical equations on this thing here and figure this stuff out. You know. How many atoms are in the sun? And I figured that out. I, I don't have the number here. It's pretty big. It's like 10 to the 19th number of atoms. And I said, okay, how much... How much uh, 
matter is there in empty space. By the way, you understand, in empty space is about 1,000 atoms per cubic centimeter. Most of an atom is empty space. Yeah, and most of that is empty space. But, but in, in one cubic centimeter of space, you only have about 1,000 atoms. Okay, that's very low. If, it, if it's a dense gas, you maybe get 10,000 atoms. So it's okay, how, what, what kind of volume of space is needed if I condense all the atoms in that space down to get the sun? And it came to be several thousand times the size of our solar system. Mm -hmm. Several thousand times. Mm -hmm. wow. All right. And here's the other thing. The, and then I did a calculation, basic physics. What is the gravitational attraction between two atoms in empty space? pretty negligible. I'm literally, it, it is there, but it's pretty, it's, it's, it's so negligible that it would take, someone calculated it would take several times the years of the age, current age of the universe for two atoms a mile apart to just attract each other enough to come together because the forces are so small. It's crazy. If you, if you take out a piece of paper and your calculator and you start doing the math on this, it's nuts. And then they come and say, well, you know, the gold in your ring, well, that came from a supernova that blew up. That's how the, because in stellar dynamics, any element heavier than iron requires energy to be put into the system. Yeah, it's got to be put into the system. All right. Here's, here's the, so you take all the hydrogen. Hydrogen goes to helium. Helium goes to carbon, oxygen, nitrogen. That goes down to sulfur and goes down to data. And finally you get to iron. Iron is a dead end because anything higher than iron you got to put energy into the system to get the higher elements. You follow what's going on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until then, as elements fuse together, energy is released. Once you get the iron, iron can't fuse into anything else without you putting energy into the system. So where does gold come from? Where do all the trans-iron elements, iron is number 26, so you've got, what, another 50, 60 elements after that that you got to account for. And they just keep adding more on and on and on. You know, they're up to like 130 now or something like that. All right. Huh? Yeah. So, so, the, so their answer is, well, you got a supernova. What happens is the car burns out of energy. It collapses down. The gravitational attraction adds so much energy to the system that as it blows apart, iron becomes gold and silver and copper and cobalt and all the other things we got. So explain to me how you get a gold nugget. You can't. I've got, a, I got 10 to the 19th atoms spread over a distance of 11 light years of space. All of them mixed up. At, how does the, all the gold atoms decide, well, I'll get together here and make a nugget? The point is, look, we're getting off on a, a little trail here, but listen, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy what they're telling you. It's, it's, but they, here's the thing. If you don't have God, how do we, we've got to explain this somehow. This is the best you can do. You just keep digging a hole. What the evolutionists, you know, they're at the bottom of the hole and they just keep digging more hole for themselves. Yep, 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 yes, sir. yep, that's right, yep. Here, we'll give you a PhD for that thesis. That's kind of nuttiness and craziness you get. And uh, the, the funniest one I saw is I was watching some special, and I guess this guy, he has a PhD in exobiology. You know what exobiology is, right? That is the biology of aliens. Aliens. 
I'm not making this up. He's got a PhD in exobiology, but we don't have any aliens. But he's got a PhD in this. I always thought it interesting that any huh? alien they picture has some like human characteristics. Yeah. But the whole point there is that how do you get a PhD on studying aliens when you don't have any aliens to study? This shows the craziness of. Yeah, the, here's the point. Men are suppressing the truth. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it because if you acknowledge the existence of a God, now all of a sudden you got some things coming into the equation that you really don't want. Like, I'm accountable. I got accountability to this creator. I better know who he is or what he is like. Or, but no, we don't want that. And he's saying the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. You just don't want to see them. You don't want to believe in them. They've been clearly, and have been clearly, listen, perceived ever since the creation of the world. Clearly perceived is really, it's, you can, it's, it's, I don't know how to put it. You can, it's plain to see. God's not hiding it. Now, God's not trying to make it tough for you to figure it out. It's there. You got to train yourself to ignore it. So they are with, listen, what is it? So they are without what? Now, I'll tell you what, a lot of people choke on this. A lot of people choke on this. Well, what about the native in Bula Bula Bongo Bongo that's never heard the gospel? Are they responsible? Yes, they are. In what way are they responsible? Because they can look out and see what? God's creation. God's creation. At a point, some point in time, what did their ancestors know? They knew creator, right? You go back far enough, every human being on the planet has come from a line that knew God. Because you go back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and I bet you they definitely knew there was a God. He said they are without excuse. It's those uh, groups of people who are easiest to believe, easiest to convince. It's easier to talk to a native in Bula Bula about the creation than it is to talk to a college PhD professor. <laughs> the most beautiful birds are over there. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they know that. You just got to put names to things, and a lot of them, like, oh, okay. It's clearly seen. And this is why, for although they knew God, at some point did people know God? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. They knew God, but they did not do what? They did not honor him as God, and they weren't thankful. Yes. They knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. They weren't thankful. And instead, what did they do? They became vain, futile in their thinking. These verb tenses here are in a Greek form called the aorist, which is a past action. No, no, it's just something that happened. So at some point in time, they didn't want God. At some point in time, they suppressed him, or they, or they were suppressing him, but they knew God, but they, didn't, they weren't thankful. They weren't acknowledging him as creator. So what happened to them? They became, in the past, futile in their imagination. The idea of futility there is they're not able to think right. They're not able to... Vain. Think of vanity. What's vanity? Futility. Their thinking became skewed. And their foolish heart was darkened. This is an external... It's called the aorist pa passive, which means something happened 
to them that caused their heart to become darkened. Because they didn't want God. They weren't thankful for God. They did not want to think about God. What happened is at, time, at, at some point in time, they then became, their heart was darkened. They became foolish. And they were no longer able to see it. Because they didn't want it. Their heart was darkened. You see this with the Pharisees. You know, they rejected Christ, rejected Christ, rejected Christ. And finally, what, Christ, what did Christ tell them in John 8? Where I'm going, you cannot come. And you say, wait a minute, these guys are still alive. You know, they can still believe. No, they can't. Why can't they believe? From the divine perspective, why is it that they, won't, they can't believe? Because God blinded them. The God blinded them. Why did God blind them? No, 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 no. God said, fine, okay, fine. All right, I won't bother you. Who is the agent of regeneration? What member of the Trinity? If they have the Holy Spirit, no, 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 long enough, what the Holy Spirit might just not do? He might not convict you. The perfect parent lets the super stubborn child learn the heart. We don't like that idea because, see, we have this idea as long as somebody's alive, they can believe. And from the human perspective, yes. We do not have a copy of the Book of Life, and I have no idea who God has and has not rejected. So we don't, don't go there. But what this is saying is that if the, and what, God, what Paul is basically saying is these people groups, these heathen, at some point they had the knowledge of the truth. At some point they knew God. And what did they not do with that knowledge? They did not worship him, and they weren't thankful. They rejected him. And finally what happened, their heart was darkened. And here's the point, I think. And this is something to really understand. I believe this. If you live up to the light that God has given you, what will God give you? More. Who's a good example of that in the Old Testament? It begins with R. Jericho. Rahab. What did Rahab, now did Rahab know anything about God? Probably not. No, what did she know about God? Uh, Forty years ago, he took care of the Egyptians. Um, this is not a good thing. I want to be on his side. She didn't know much about God, but what did she live up to? What she, what she did know. And because of that, she became part of the Messianic line. What did Ruth live up to? Ruth lived up to the light. What did she become? Part of the Messianic line. The point is... God's not arbitrary in this, but generally in people groups, there's always those one-off exceptions. So don't, don't just, like, like Sammy said, don't give up your mind and say, ah, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to haul off into my cocoon and wait for the Lord to come back and destroy this whole mess. No, we are to be salt and light. We are to tell people. But generally people groups, and that's what Paul's talking about here, if you reject the truth, reject it, reject it, suppress it, hold it down, at some point God says, fine, I will leave you alone. God gives you over. Because what did they do? They claimed them, claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. Now, if you want to see the biggest group of people who are fools who claim to be wise, go to any higher education campus. And you'll see a lot of that. Not all of them. I, I, okay, Sammy. But a lot of them, I've run into these people. The more brains you have, the more... Wise you think you are. I, I, had a, I remember college, I had a college guy, I, he was like the 
head of the classics department, taught Greek, you know, tell me he can write a better computer program than I can because he's got a PhD and I don't. All right, fine. Um, but the whole point there is that you claim to be wise, but you become fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You've got to be trained to not believe in God. It takes some training and work and effort and energy to, to, to do that. And he said, they became full. And what did they do? They exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God. They changed his glory. What, by the way, what is glory? When we talk about the glory of God, what are we talking about? What does it mean to glorify God? Praise him. Praise him. Value. Value. Worship. Exalt. Huh? Exalt. Exalt. I like to use the term display. How do I glorify God? I display God to those people around me. I act like God. It's like a little mirror. Can a little mirror reflect the entire light output energy of the sun? No, you can't. But what can it do? It can reflect a little bit of it, right? We are like little mirrors. We reflect the light of God. We're not the light source, but we can reflect it. And if you want to reflect it well, what do you need to make sure your mirror is? Clean, not dirty, right? Got to wash it off, make clean. So if you want to reflect God, you live a holy life so that you can reflect his nature, his character. When you glorify God, you're displaying God's attributes. You're, you're displaying who God is what he is like, all of those things, worship, adoration, all that, that's all part of that. They did not want to give God credit for what God did. And because they would not give God credit, because they would not acknowledge him as the source of this, what did they do? Well, we got to come up with some answer for the way things are, so we'll create a God of our own. And what do they do? Images resembling mortal man, Birds, animals, creeping things. We'll take the immortal God, the creator of the universe. We don't like that one. So we'll create a fish God or a bull God or a worship beasts and animals. And Thou shalt have no graven images. We're very good at graven images, by the way. Yes. Now, the average person says, I'm not good at graven images. Well, go over to Europe and go to the churches of pilgrimage and watch the holy relic so you get some years knocked off purgatory. What are you worshiping? A sliver of a cross, a chalice, a piece of cloth from supposedly <coughs> Joseph's work clothes or some screwball thing? There's, churches are full of this stuff over there. Yep. I've been there. I've watched. I've seen, I've seen skeletons in a coffin that you can bow down and, and pray to and that saint will get you some, he'll put in a good word to God for you. I'm not making that stuff up. That's bizarre. We do the same stuff. We do the same thing. Go to Dernstein, the church at Dernstein. Walk in there and there's two coffins, two saints in a coffin with their whole little, from 1100, one's from 11 and one's from 1300 AD. And got a little altar you can prowl down and you can say a prayer or a rosary or something and they're going to put in a good word for you and maybe get some years off purgatory if you're lucky. It's crazy. It's, it's nuts. But you know what? We, we do the same thing. We, we, re, we replace the invisible God with things that we can touch, see, birds. And because we do that, what does God do? 
He gives them over. Give them over is a very interesting word. It's called paradidomy. It means to give over to a sentence, to, to give over to an execution, to give over to the jailer, to give somebody over to something. If you don't want to do things God's way, God will give you over to that. It becomes part of you. Because of this, God gave them over, gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Just a thought. It's very ironic that any um, God humans have come up with is so powerless and minute compared to the actual one true mm. God. Yeah. We create gods in our own image. You understand that? That's the whole idea of have no other gods before me and no engraving images because what we do is we create a god in our image with failings, with frailties, with passions. Look at the Greek gods. They were no different than us except they were powerful. They had the same passions, the same failings. When you create a God, you're going to get the wrong one. See, that's, that's why God says, don't have any graven images before me. Don't have any other gods before me. Because what's going to happen in your fallenness, you're going to come up with something that's not me. That's our problem. See, our brain is, it's called the noetic effect of sin. That's another fancy word, which means your brain has got a problem. You can't think right. It's because of your fallenness. Your ability to think, to reason, to understand is distorted by sin. And if you try to come up with God on your own, you're going to get the wrong answer every single time. How do you, how do you know who the right God is? God, you have to glorify him as what? As God. What is the, what is the and we're going to, we've got to stop here because we'll be on this for the next two hours. What is, what is the corrective to keeping yourself from being turned over? You glorify God as God. You acknowledge him for who he is. You recognize him for who he is. And here's the thing. You take God for what he said he is, not what you want him to be. Right. There's a lot of people today say, so I'll take God, but I don't like the God of the Bible. I'll make my own. Well, you got the wrong one then. <laughs> I don't like the God of the Bible that's going to condemn people to hell. Well, what did God say he's going to do? We don't like a God that's, that um, had sent his own son to die for us on the cross. That's cosmic child abuse. Well, what did God say he did? What you think is irrelevant. It's what God says is relevant. It's not what you think. We, 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 we reject God. And someday God's going to just confirm our choice. You didn't want me? Fine. But we create a God in our own image. And what you see here in, in the first part of this, and we just got through fruit verses here. For the first part of this, Paul is saying, you're without excuse. You can see God. You can acknowledge him. It's clear to everybody. But, you know, if you don't live up to that light and you reject God, if there comes a point when God get, is going to withdraw his presence from you and give you over to that. And say, if, if, if you don't want me, fine, I'll leave you alone. And God will give you up. And we're going to see this downward progression here. And by the way, we're living in verses 28 and 29 and 30 today. We're down to the bottom of the barrel. We've, we've gone through the crud at the bottom. We're now digging through underneath the barrel and getting even lower in our society. And we're going to see that um, next week. Yeah. If you can also come back for more. Yeah. yeah. Any questions or comments here before we close?
Yeah, I think in all this, yeah, throughout my life, when I keep hearing about evolution this and evolution that and, and, and all these various theories, you know, that man has come up with, I think of two different things. I think of uh, um, a statement that Einstein made once. He says that, uh, he said that uh, the greatest hindrance we have to science today is the thought that we know it all. Mm -hmm. That we know it all. Yeah. They think they're smarter than they really are. And yeah. then I also think, well, why? Why does man come up with all this stuff? You know, these various theories of everything, other than what's in the Bible. Why do they want to do all this? Pride. They answered, yes, well, it's pride, personal pride, but it's that they don't want to have to answer right. to the God of the universe. Yeah, That's right. it's a moral God, decision. I don't want to have to answer to, to God. I want to answer to myself. Yeah, I think Aldous Huxley, if I remember right, Aldous Huxley is one that said, you know, I don't want to believe the Bible because if I do, I got, this is a very bad quote. I have no idea what it, but the basic gist of it is I reject the Bible because I don't want to be able to, I don't want to be accountable to that God, so I have to come up with something else because I don't want that. I'll have to go along with his rule. Yeah. Yes. It's very interesting to read some things about um, scientists who are Christians. Yes. And, uh, when I was growing up and going through school originally, I can see now, looking back, how it was all turned around that you said, you know, we're, we're born to be logical and reasonable. Mm -hmm. Okay, what I was really being taught was that's what science was. Yeah. And that God was just fiction, yeah. emotion, da 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 da. And that the only way, because and like I said, it took me a long time to realize that that's what I had. And I don't think lots of times people realize that they're being taught that. Right. They have no idea that, that they're, yep. that's really what they're being taught. So that then they go on to college and different things. And, yep. uh, you know, it just further increases it. Yep. God gives them over. Well, we're out of time. Father, thank you for this day and for the discussion we've had, and uh, help us to ponder these things. And um, yeah, we are living in a world that's been given over to sin. We're living in a world that's getting darker and darker, but that doesn't mean we give up. Rather, it means that we just get to shine even brighter. And I pray that we would do that, not become disillusioned or give in to sort of this futility, but actually be men and women who shine brightly in a darkening world. And again, thank you for this time of study and for your word in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.